This is the Dreadful Podcast from TV Podcast Industries, and we're here with Penny Dreadful City of Angels, episode one, Santa Muerta. That boy, you leave him be. But why trouble yourself with him? Hmm? With any of them? What are they but frightened animals in the mud, scratching for more mud, fully unworthy of your devotion and care? I'll prove it to you, just wait. How will you do that? By letting them be who they are. By making all their dreams come true. By whispering to them. All mankind needs to be the monster he truly is, is being told he can. Will you try to stop me? I have no heart for the living. For anything. Now open your arms, sister. I'll give you many souls today. Welcome back, fellow Penny faithful. This is TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, the first episode, Santa Muerta. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, Penny faithful. I am one of your other hosts, John. Welcome back. Yes, and rounding out the trio, I am Chris. Dreadful by name, dreadful by nature, and dreadful at being a podcast host. That's so, so untrue. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> it's so untrue. If you if you haven't joined us for any of other TV podcast industries, Chris is our regular third host of TV podcast industries, but didn't join us for a retrospective series, our three season discussion of Penny Dreadful. Uh, we did that with a little bit with uh, with Ray, one of our other friends, uh, and mostly myself and John, going back through twenty seven episodes, twenty six episodes of Penny yes. Dreadful uh, over the course of the last four weeks so while some penny dreadful fans have been missing the show and had four years to like you know collect their thoughts on that show we had uh about a week uh from <laughs> when that ended yeah, to basically. when it started so. uh, what we can yeah what we can definitely say is it's certainly a lot sunnier in this penny dreadful <laughs> it is it's a less lot brighter of, yes less of that london rain grime and smog and mm. end of days at least so far so far although that seems to be on the horizon also definitely want to mention that we did all the planning for our 26 episode retrospective season uh, planning for the release date of the 26th and i'm laughing now because i constantly was getting this date confused i was constantly saying it was released on the 26th or the 24th throughout the series i kept noticing it my editing and yes showtime did actually drop the first episode on friday the 24th of april before um Anybody knew it was coming out. They were doing a countdown themselves on their own Twitter account and on their Instagram account and on their Facebook account. And then suddenly they went, actually, it's here for you to watch, which was a lovely surprise. Yeah, it was a bit of guerrilla marketing. I was just like, we woke up on Friday and everyone was like, yay, it's here. I'm like, what? What? Mm-hmm. No, I, I, <laughs> no. I, planned, I planned for Sunday night, Monday morning. What's going on here, people? <laughs> it's like, this has just completely upset my plans. I am personally put out. What do you do to be Showtime? Come on. <laughs> but I think the actual reason was on Showtime, uh, Homeland, the flagship show, really, for Showtime, uh, finished this weekend. It finished the, the uh, slot just before this episode was about to air. So I think they needed uh, to get 
Penny Dreadful out a little bit beforehand as well, just to get a little bit of share of mind, because when you have a show as big as Homeland ending on one night and starting a new show, you need to get a little bit of PR out there as well. So, uh, so fair dues to them. Uh, seems to have gotten loads of people to have, uh, to have watched it. So uh, everybody seems to have been, been pretty happy with it. We're going to kick into our discussion on Penny Dreadful pretty quickly. We're going to be talking about the first episode. But overall, guys, what did you think? Uh, Chris, first experience in Penny Dreadful in a very long time. I know you watched a couple of episodes of the first show. Uh, what did you think of the opener for City of Angels? I'm intrigued. Hmm. I think I, I, I said, I think I, on our personal kind of chat, I went, hmm, interesting. <laughs> and John came back going, interesting or interesting? And I'm like, I don't know. Is there a third option of like, interesting? <laughs> um, I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. It It's definitely exposition heavy, but you need that from an opening. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, yeah, they, they definitely come straight out of the kind of gate with some very heavy topics. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, I got, uh, Watchmen vibes. Yes. Straight away. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, that for me personally now is, uh, a seal of approval. Mm-hmm. If he can, if they can continue this, uh, at that same level and the, with that certain je ne sais quoi, then I'm in for this whole season. Excellent. Excellent. And John, as our resident fan of Penny Dreadful overall, to begin with, what do you think? Um, I, I really liked it. I, I really loved, uh, the characters. And I think, um, you know, it's different. It is different from Penny Dreadful, mm-hmm. uh, the first three seasons, but there's a similarity, um, in that. And I think, um, It'll be interesting because I think there's a lot of different threads here, as as Chris was saying, you know, that really need to just kind of keep in mind, I think, uh, all the time. But, I mean, for me, I suppose I I, I would just split them up into that great opening discussion between the two sisters, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that one day uh, there will come a day when it will be nation versus nation, race versus race, and brother versus brother. And I think that really encapsulates... Um, how we see Magda, uh, in, in this episode, mm-hmm. you know, the, the difference between Nazi Germany and obviously, uh, the land of the free and the USA. You've got whites and, um, Mexicans, but also the other different communities within LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have the, the Vega family and the, the three brothers, but also with the sister and the mother, very, what are these battles that are going to happen here? So it, it, it was, it, and you know, John Logan, uh, weaves a really good dialogue and spell. I mean, there's some I, I just, still need to learn and understand what they mean some of the terminology mm. from then like i think jds i uh, have no idea what that's uh, an abbreviation for mm. and obviously some of the racist slang i suppose um is okay you know trying to understand where that's coming from so and like you say yeah it's it's dealing with relatively tough topics and um, but wrapped up in this lovely world of mexican day of the dead folklore mm. uh which is the thing that really uh i'm equally excited to to find out more about yeah. 
Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's that's what's making it really interesting for me. I was I was thinking about it after watching the first episode because I saw a lot of kind of commentary from fans of the original series of of Penny Dreadful going, "Oh, but this isn't like the Victorian era. This doesn't include the monsters that we know from that show." And I thought about it afterwards, going, "If John Logan had come up with this concept for a show, had had the character of Magda and the character of Santa Muerte in there, and did this episode and just called it City of Angels." everybody would be complain and go well he's just doing penny dreadful set in la so why not use the name but if he if he he did use it and people are wondering why he did use it that way but uh, i think it makes lots of sense from john logan and i definitely enjoyed this first episode but just a reminder if you haven't listened to our podcast before make sure you subscribe to us over on tvpodcastindustries.com uh, you can pop over there you can leave a voicemail for us if you have any thoughts about any of the episodes uh, and of course we'd love to hear your thoughts about any of the episodes as we go along just email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com yeah and remember any good or evil podcast catcher you can uh, follow us on so please search tv podcast industries or dreadful podcast or dreadful podcast mm-hmm. and um as well we will be continuing our table or pub quiz as well so there will be questions to answer if you want to join in uh with the chance of receiving the goodies mm. the penny dreadful goodies yes. um yes probably a severed limb or or maybe <laughs> a thumb in the post <laughs> i hope not i definitely don't want to be attached <laughs> to a thumb i do want to be attached to two thumbs actually um but uh, yes these are usually uh table quiz pub quiz questions for the very eagle-eyed viewers amongst you so uh you may have to re-watch the episode after john gives you the question later on uh let's get into our discussion about penny dreadful city of angels episode one santa muerta uh, this episode was directed by paco cabezas who directed four episodes of season three of penny dreadful and uh, we mentioned before that we we're really looking forward to seeing his take on it because uh the director jay biona had directed the original two episodes of the first series of penny dreadful and really set the tone for the show and i think that's why Paco Cabezas has been given uh, this first episode and the second episode to direct because he's kind of bringing his style to uh, to the show, kind of setting up the kind of visual um, library, I suppose, that we're going to see for the rest of the series here. Uh, once again, as we mentioned, written by showrunner John Logan. Uh, we haven't talked about him in a while, so if you're a newcomer to the show, let's kind of give you a breakdown of who John Logan is as well. He's the creator of the original series, obviously, uh, as we've mentioned. Uh, he wrote 24 episodes of that show as well, so not only showrunner, but writer of almost every episode. Uh, he worked with Sam Mendes on the Bond film Spectre and Skyfall. He wrote Alien Covenant, Star Trek Nemes- Nemesis, uh, Gladiator, and Last Samurai, so he's a very well-respected uh, writer of many movies and many TV shows as well, so... Yeah, and I mean, certainly to the with the original Penny Dreadful, he really brought that literary uh, element to to the language mm-hmm. uh, and, and of the time, I suppose, for Victorian England. And um, like, he's a great writer, yeah. and I think he you know, he knows how to craft uh, a story, uh, and that's why I think really exciting to see how these threads progress over this ten episode series. Yeah, yeah, he's also a first generation Irish American as well, uh, which he says informs him about obviously this idea of immigrants in america so he's very aware of the immigrant experience uh, in the u.s as well so i think that's quite interesting uh, perspectives come from as well john do you want to give us the summary for the first episode of penny dreadful city of angels sure it's los angeles 1938 newly promoted lapd detective tiago vega and his partner Louis michener investigate a murder while at City Hall, Tiago's activist brother, Raoul, battles with the fiery councilman, Charlton Townsend, over the construction of California's first freeway. 
Meanwhile, Dr. Peter Kraft, the head of the German-American Bund, meets Elsa, a mysterious mother of one of his patients. Sensing danger, Tiago's mother Maria pleads with Santa Muerta to protect her family as the rising tensions in the city of L.A. threaten to explode. And explode they do in a wonderful closing sequence. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Episode. Oh, just if you if you wanted to see how a show can build and build and build, I think this is done so well uh, towards the end of the show. It really shows you the power of Magda, um, which kind of leads us on to how we're going to talk about this first episode. If you've been following along with our Penny Dreadful re- retrospective, what we've been doing is picking out a big moment for each of us to discuss and kind of bring to the table as we all discuss through our thoughts on it, I suppose. Um, this time, because it's the first episode and because Natalie Dormer plays three characters in the show, well, thought it might be good to pick her three characters, right? And uh, and talk through that way. And um, because she's so influential on in everything else that goes around her. Natalie Dorman plays the character of Magda, in case you haven't seen her on Game of Thrones and don't recognise her face. Um, she does play this major character and many roles throughout the show. So, John, you're going to kick us off with the first character? Yes, absolutely. I'm taking Magda as Councilman Townsend's advisor, the, the spectacle lady Alex. Um, yeah, I, I think this is really interesting. You know, we have that great opening, uh, moment in, in the, the field of crops with the, the young Santiago and his, his papa. And, um, that this idea that, um, all you need to do is whisper. She will let these people, let the people of the earth be who they are by whispering to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what a better way of, of capturing that by this uh, political advisor that is shaping um, the direction, not only of Townsend in his role uh, on this transport committee, but also just officialdom, you know, the Mers Council. It's a really interesting sort of position to be in and i think this is probably although she is supernatural obviously because she can take on different forms mm-hmm. it's the least supernatural element of it pure bread magda is absolutely supernatural mm-hmm. um and certainly we see things from elsa that is certainly um not of this world uh, but here uh, magda as alex is playing it really quite straight um, and and it, it it's the one maybe most relatable this idea of the political advisor you know yeah. the the pompeo uh, in the white house mm. or or whoever it may be um, well, i've met a few of them uh, over over my years and it, it's just yeah i mean it's in in this kind of setting that alex is is advancing you know the these two of these three prophecies that i mentioned um it, straight off the bat as we started the discussion this Mm -hmm. this idea of you know there will come a time where it will be nation uh against nation uh, and race against race you know through both her trying to sort of mesh in councillor townsend in with um the the german ceo and, and that kind of underground uh infiltration of nazi uh businessmen or even just the espionage uh, in the us at that time in mm-hmm. 1938 uh but also then the idea of you know what this new freeway represents um 
and the transport committee in, in trying to sort of block and undermine any community response to it. And, and again, something that people maybe understand a, a, a lot about, whether it's oil pipelines or mm-hmm. new dams or fracking or, or that kind of thing, kind of mobilizing the official response or um, the, the slog of officialdom to get what they want yeah. and in effect of striking through people's communities and um, mm-hmm. so i thought this was really interesting absolutely it's one of the best scenes as well in the in the episode having Raoul stand up with his group of people who live in the area the community who are going to be most, most affected by this and standing up to this commissioner in the committee office i think it's so interesting to see the I think, as we, as she mentioned, the spark, the fire that's going on between these two groups of people and the back and forth between the two of them. And then there's that underlying hint of racism that's going on with how he's talking about them when he's walking away with Alan, Alex at Councilman Townsend is saying uh, some completely uh, incendiary type of phrases. And Alex is saying to him, basically, I agree with you, but just don't use that language because it might make it in the papers and then there might be a problem getting you into the mayorhood. So uh, just just make sure you keep those phrases silent and to yourself. But you're right, kind of thing, uh, to keep to keep kind of bolstering his own uh, belief in himself. You know, there's a great throwaway line that she does to him later on where he says, uh, I'm very far away from the mayor's office. And she goes, not as far away as you think. You know, another little uh, push in the right direction to make sure that he knows that that's where she's pushing him to. And if she just sticks by his side and he sticks by hers, then he'll definitely have that mayor job that he's been wanting for so long. You know, I just love that kind of uh, niggling that she does to push him in the direction she wants him to go. That's it, isn't it? It's it's that keeping those ideas out of the press like she's trying to, mm-hmm. but also at the same time, keeping his profile up in the public eye and through keeping the transport committee going. Mm -hmm. But I think the interesting thing here as well about Alex is that, again, that opening kind of chat between the two sisters, Magda says, let them be who they are. All you need to do is whisper to them. Mankind just needs to be told you can. It's in the sense that she's She's saying that his inherent racism as well. You know, he's talking about, well, what are we destroying? Just a, a, a few um, Mexican bars, uh, a laundrette, uh, you know, total disregard for the community. We, we see it with um, Captain uh, Vanderhoff as well, where he says, I wish those four bodies down uh, in the river were Mexican mm-hmm. and not from Beverly Hills, you know, uh, rich, important white people. Um, and it, it's kind of that Alex is saying, you can do this. She's not making him racist. Yeah. He already is, and he's using that in a way uh, in his position to provide this this structural splinter between the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when asked, well, where can we go? Because there's no help, he goes in that fantastic scene between him and Raoul where it really, you know, the, the tensions are of this new freeway construction are really there to be seen. Uh, he goes, um, Raoul goes, where should we go? And he goes, well, I know where you could go home. Yeah. Uh, and Raoul has to reiterate that, well, I was born in the same hospital uh, in LA that you were. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, for me, this whole thread is going to get super interesting. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the underlying racism and it, it's just underwater. It's like literally, it it boils to the top a few times with Councilman Townsend. And I think 
they'll use that in a way, mm-hmm. um, which is going to be interesting. For uh, Alex, I found one thing really, really interesting, which is they've styled Natalie uh, Dormer in such a way. Cause she is aesthetically quite beautiful. Yeah. Her other two characters are quite stunning. Mm-hmm. They've styled her as a frumpy secretary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, this is a weird one. Why are they actually actively giving her weird hair and gray and making her not even trying to just like age her, trying to actively kind of make her look plain. Mm-hmm. And I think I know why, because what we're going to see is probably Council and Townsend is a womanizer and Alex couldn't whisper and embolden him and he probably wouldn't listen to a very good looking woman. Mm-hmm. So we're yeah. going to see these very sexist elements probably come into play as well, which yeah. were back in those days as well an issue as much as race. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I, re- I I'm going to see how that goes from a struct. <laughs> this is where I'm going to get myself in even more trouble. <laughs> so, I've always personally sided with corporations mm. when it's like for like the advancement of humanity and progress, there needs to sometimes you can't stay stand in the way of that. Oh, I know. Yep. So historically, <laughs> like they're going to have to, they had to move these towns. Now, probably what we're going to find here is that they're just saying, go back. To, he actually says, go back to Mexico. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find you another home. Yeah. So that's where I'm like, hmm, step too far. Uh, but <laughs> the rate, in terms of we need to build a new motorway and your house is in the way. So let's just move you somewhere better. I'm like, all right, I can, I, I can get on board with that. It's just where he gets, it gets very, that, that courtroom scene was just interesting. Yeah. And even the banging, the, 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 the way they, uh, yeah. It was not singing, chanting. I suppose is a good way of kind of saying. Yeah, it. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They're they're uh, they're stoking up the revolution effectively. That, yes. that's what they're that's what they're doing when they're when they're getting together and and fa- trying to face down someone that's not listening to them in Council and Townsend. You know, it is fascinating. I've been I've been reading a lot of articles and a lot of pieces from uh, John Logan about why he chose this as the story and it, it is interesting you know this concept of that he came up with particularly at that time in 1938 about building these roads in LA through particular neighborhoods that's where the concept's actually coming from it's the neighborhoods that were chosen to put the motorways through rather than your house is in the way of a motorway it's we've chosen your house as the house that's going to be flattened while we put a motorway in uh, and that continually happened throughout LA he talked about he talked about this concept where over decades what was happening where more and more in- immigrant communities were being segregated from good well-to-do areas by building motorways and blocking them on the wrong side of the tracks effectively so this is the kind of start of that this is where this is kicking off in this particular era of America to segregate uh, communities of immigrants from white Americans effectively because they, the white Americans were the ones that were in power. And of course, you're not going to knock down an 18-hole golf course and five mansions to build uh, a motorway. You're going to knock down the immigrant communities who've only been there for 20 or 30 years, not the families that have been there for 80 years, is the idea that he's come up, that he's playing on here. Yeah, the, um, the you hear that slightly further where Alex talks about building another motorway. Yeah. And they bring up, it's go, I'm using their terms it will go through the colored areas mm-hmm. yeah 
Uh, and he, he goes, we're not ready for that yet. Yeah. Yeah. And she goes, but we could be. Exactly, exactly. So it's it's another word in the ear from from Alex to a person that's racist anyway and probably will have these plans. But exactly as you say, John, he's, she's not pushing him in a direction he wouldn't go, but he's she's giving him guidance for uh, the way that will disrupt most, I suppose. Well, I think that's the interesting thing. Belvedere Heights, where the community is, it, it's... As Rao says, it's when progress becomes barbaric. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's that kind of, um, isolating communities, uh, away from services or whatever. Most of them wouldn't have had a car, so it won't in- benefit them, like say a, a tramway, um, yeah. all this kind of stuff. Um, it's obviously cheaper for, uh, the city to, uh, uproot effectively small scale cheap housing compared to yeah a golf course who's mm. got many rich um members uh, and all this kind of thing so you know it all plays along those lines i think and and just the slog of officialdom that um puts up the barriers makes people feel ineffective mm. or not heard um i i think is is the big thing here i think the it is one moment though just um before all of this when uh tiago uh, has that celebration of becoming a detective in the LAPD and him and his, his, his mom, uh, Maria are, are walking, uh, to the bus stop where he goes to get back into town. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment, it's a great little image where she looks at all the machinery there ready for the big Monday morning dig. Yeah. Um, and, and they look menacing or, you know, it's portrayed as monsters in the dark, these mechanical monsters in, in the dark. And I think it's another thing that relates to, uh, the original Penny Dreadful series, this idea of progress mm-hmm. and how it impacts people lives in, in different ways or, in the sense of like with Victor Frankenstein, you know, gets abused. So yeah. it's being abused here by Councillor Townsend to advance his own embedded racial thinking mm-hmm. or notions of uh, racial purity or or not, uh, depending on uh, your race. And so uh, I, it's it's a really interesting thing. Um, I think on the the flip side of this, then there's those explicit prejudices like uh mr goss uh the representative of the german company who mm-hmm. is there I- I- in the u.s it's great line you know we've been working on the reich chancellery and the autobahns and uh, we can build you more freeways because mm-hmm. you know the germans were absolutely uh, ahead of the game uh, in building their autobahn network yeah. and um but here it, it's that explicit prejudice of mr goss representing a you know a nazi party member probably and certainly the the gestapo um aide or or henchman assigned to him uh in in kurt Uh, and i i love that they effectively you know again play to his his own ego by saying, you know, we want you to be the next mayor of, of LA. We can see, uh, that we can support you through to that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have things in common in a sense, uh, and you can advance our, um, agenda, but it, it comes with a threat because, you know, despite all his flaws, councilman Townsend believes he is a patriot, yeah. but at the same time, he doesn't want a bullet in the head. Um, you know, it's a great line where Mr. Goss just kind of leans in and he says, 
see uh, the man by the car, he's Gestapo. If he doesn't think that this um, exchange has gone well, he will put a bullet in your head. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I suggest you shake my hands after our conversation. Um, And I I think this is really... um, just it was a great little it's a great little moment and yeah. um, because in this as well alex is is pretty much quiet she has set up this meeting and mm-hmm. um, she's not really leasing that conversation because in a sense in this kind of realm of race against race or even nation against nation um she's kind of aligned pretty much with nazism and and hitlerism um and i think you know that racial purity philosophy of uh, the the nazi agenda but also the hitlerism you know the cult of uh, an individual to lead all of that um i thought it was really interesting that infiltration and espionage in the u.s in the lead up to the war in 1939 even though the u.s didn't come in till you know another sort of three to four years later mm-hmm. um it, it it gave me hints of you know the man in the high castle yeah. by philip k dick but before the nazis you know before that alternative history of mm-hmm. the nazis actually occupying um a great swaths of uh the eastern side of america but that this you know they were trying to make the u.s sympathetic to their cause so that they wouldn't intervene in the same way that the british were trying to kind of make sure that the u.s were sympathetic to their position yeah. so you know all this kind of um toing and throwing and and uh conflicting agendas uh, at this sort of uh, big scale uh, i thought was was really good you know it's almost like another prong to um the infiltration um through grass the grassroots approach that we see with dr craft mm-hmm. this is the the, the subversive espionage route infiltration but to get you know people in key top-down positions to kind of be sympathetic to the the nazi regime and it's not much that she has to do here as well she just has to put the two right people who have the same beliefs even though they may not know it all she has to do is get a meeting between the two of them and then everything will go alex's way here you know it's a it's a really scary uh, proposition that that's all it can take is just a couple of words in the ear of the right person and Maybe you have Nazi America, basically. Yeah, and, yeah. and to advance that far-right agenda mm. in, in the U.S. as well, yes, so that yeah. the U.S. ultimately becomes aligned with the Axis power of of Germany and Italy. Absolutely. And this is also something from history. This isn't something that was pulled out of John uh, Logan's head, this, this idea that Hitler was looking to set up a base in L.A. and felt that L.A. would be a good breeding ground for the Nazi party and their ideals was actually true. Uh, it was very... It was a very uh, pivotal moment in the history of of uh, of the nazis expansion into uh, into america their idea that that's where they wanted to go um and as john mentioned it did lead to the concept of man on high castle so that's where that all came from so uh, interesting that they're that they're visiting it here uh, chris let's go on to uh, to your um natalie dormer from the episode because there's a connection there isn't there sure from one nazi to another mm. let's move it on <laughs> uh yeah uh i'm gonna be taking elsa uh elsa the german visitor to dr Kraft. now um you're probably going elsa she's not actually called elsa in the episode mm. she is later or will be named elsa but she, we know through uh kind of 
her uh, through kind of promotion materials that she is going to be Elsa. Yes. But uh, this whole storyline is started via Dr. Craft. We're introduced to Dr. Craft um, at his kitchen table or in his kitchen with his two sons who are lovingly discussing um, Green Hornet versus another character mm-hmm. and uh, the rain and the snow and how they've never seen snow. Um, <laughs> They're doing some nerdy podcast commentary on uh, on some radio shows that are going on. You know? Yeah, to be fair, they were doing the podcast before the podcast <laughs> began. They're, just, exactly. they're basically doing what we're doing now. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've never seen Nazis. So how do we know we need to go to see Nazis? Uh, no. no, but we seriously, we get to see uh, we get to see them. Discuss, and it's very interesting. They are very American kids. Mm-hmm. They are prim and proper, very American child, children. They are the, the first generation German-Americans. Um, obviously after coming over probably from World War One. Um, what we then get is introduced to, um, Dr. Kraft's wife, mm-hmm. who buzzes in and buzzes out. Yeah. Uh, we do get Mrs. Vega. She, she, that's how there's a straightaway connection with the Vegas in that she is their maid or not living maid. So we see her arrive in the morning. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to say maid slash house cleaner slash potentially cook uh, kind of overall just help yeah yeah um, and, and the person that uh, that's going to make sure that uh, someone doesn't have an alcoholic drink during the day uh. yeah that, and i'm wondering how that's going to play out mm. because that's 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 framed that's not just a park castaway line that yeah. was framed very particularly so i can see an elsa uh doing whispers around that right right so if we're talking about like how is the whispers into humanity going to affect these different things. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of ways, and one of them I can see being is the, the uh, Mrs. Croft and her um, her susceptibility to tipple. Yes, yes, um, yeah. But it we it, it's a nice introduction to this family. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives you all the points you need. It gets funnier when we do see Croft in his car. And listening to uh, the first ever Rosetta Stone, um, <laughs> <laughs> who know could even be Babel. Um, but he has this little tape recorder talking about bridge and the children going to bed at night. I absolutely love this. I think it's so interesting because Rory Kinnear is an actor that we obviously saw for three seasons of the original Penny Dreadful, and he's back now playing a completely different role in this show. Uh, he is British, um, not American, so I was kind of expecting this show set in. City of Angels, you know, it's set in LA. We're going to get to hear Rory Kinnear's American accent. But no, we have a German with an accent that's slightly off from German because he's trying to be, uh, trying to speak American through these tapes. I thought it was a really interesting one. Yeah, definitely. It also makes sure that as an actor, and he's not because he's a fantastic actor, genuinely one of my favorite actors out there, but it makes sure that he's beyond reproach if he does get that accent slightly wrong because he can say, well, actually, I'm doing two different accents at the same time, American and German. So I'm not exactly American. I'm not exactly German. <laughs> but it, it must be really, really difficult because, you know, it's kind of that you can, I think certainly for English speakers, to some extent, a German speaking English, you can approximate quite nicely. I mean, in in the sense of, you know, with the V's and W's mm-hmm. at least and, and that kind of intonation. But here he's actually if it if it's too obviously that, then it looks like he's not learning the English or trying to integrate it. And so it it must be so tough mm-hmm. to try and just soften it all. Um and and not re- 
to revert to that Indiana Jones kind of, you know, evil Nazi kind <laughs> uh-huh. of accent, which, you know. What do you mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have no clue. I'm, I'm glad it's, uh, I'm glad it's set in 1938 when there was no World Wide Web because mm-hmm. he could be saying, uh, you know, that several times in terms of his, <laughs> his, his, his babble or or his Rosetta Stone mm-hmm. learning. Uh so yeah, it but I, I thought it was really kind of nicely pitched the yeah. way he was doing it for sure. Yeah, I'd agree. The one thing I will say is I'm the the choice of accents, obviously they had must have had dialect coach mm-hmm. because I was expecting as all the additional German characters were entered or entered the fray, they Part of me was fearful. Um, some of our, our UK listeners may may remember a show called Allo Allo. Um, definitely Gosh, my podcast no. host. We will. certainly do. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, it was set in France and there was some German. It was a comedy mm. on BBC back in the, what, 70s? The late 80s. Um, late 80s. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Although um, it did go on something like seven years longer than uh, than the actual war. So it went on for about 12 years. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, they, it had some amazing German accents. Mm. Um, very over the top German accents. And part of me was in there going, Oh no, like for, like for every, for every good accent in here, there's potential for another bad one to come in. So I was expecting them to come in, you know, that this, yeah, like, well, get to the chapa quickly. I was like, That's Austrian, Austrian German. <laughs> I was just going like, Oh, this is gonna somewhere. This is gonna go bad. So far, I'm very happy with it. Excellent. Um, it's it, the, the accents, the spot on. Mm-hmm. Someone who works works with Germans a lot in work, personal life. I, I, I they, the German speaking English, they they got it on point. Excellent. But anyway, enter Elsa, or mm-hmm. should I say, no name, Mrs. Something Something. I didn't catch it because we didn't have subtitles. Um, so we will find that out in the next episode, actually give her Elsa her last name. But um, her poor little uh, weird Adolf <laughs> is um, on the table with some uh, asthma, you know. Mm-hmm. He gets whipped a lot by his father, and yeah, it's very bad, very bad. Not that good. Oh, Chris. Um, we we, yeah, okay, we need to stop, stop you anyway, doing that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, but no, so we get this very weird scene where it is the, the child and we start getting the story where uh, it's like the child has been attacked by the father who's mm. an American and then it, we do see Dr. Kraft kind of probing and then it kind of comes out that Elsa is kind of also being uh, abused and she was like, oh, I wish I had have met you before all this, because she is from Ich bin ein Berliner. So we do find that the, her character is from Berlin, he's from Essen, um, and it's this very, it, it's supposed to be, you can see where they're probably going to go, which is some form of kind of adultery is caused, etc., through whispers there. Um, she certainly is no, knows how to play Dr. Kraft. There's definitely yeah. moments of uh, sexual tension between the two of them that she's certainly driving by her movements. You see when he gives her the handkerchief and she mops her eyes and offers it back to him, you know, and, and he says, no, 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 keep it. It's a gift. And there's that, that moment yeah. where she plays into that idea as well. And of course, having uh, the story of a husband at home that's treating her badly makes her massively sympathetic. I absolutely love her description of 
he's just an American like all the rest of them, you know, eating his hamburgers, drinking his beer, watching his football, but not thinking about anything. <laughs> just like, <laughs> I can imagine how badly that went down with an American audience. Well, exactly. Show, you know? I, I think as well, <laughs> it, it's, you know, Elsa, again, that, that whispering, the, this whisper is, it's, look, I'm like you. Because I, I think um, Dr. Kraft, uh, his, his wife is American. She didn't mm-hmm. seem to have an accent. It's like, you know, it almost is the opposite of, of Elsa. It's that she's at home. She tends towards hitting the drink because she's got nothing else to do. It almost felt like that Marge Simpson uh, sat at the the kitchen table, sort of, sort of just looking at the bottle of wine. Everything's clean. Everything's done because in this case they've got um, they've got a maid mm-hmm. uh, in Maria Vega, but. It's like he doesn't know if he fully connects with his own wife on the basis of a cultural difference, mm. I suppose, or being an immigrant. Um, now, a successful one, being a doctor and bringing his practice over to, to the US. But that's how she's... Con- I like the way that you know Magda, in the form of Elsa here, is connecting in by saying, in a sense, I'm exactly the same. Yeah. Um, but it, it's with my husband. He doesn't understand the old world. And, and I think you see that with Peter later, where even though he's obviously trying to naturalize to be an American, he talks in the park about the Frankfurter and sauerkraut. There's, there's still this nostalgia to the old world or his, you know, where he's come from and this idea of having a community. I mean, we, we've just come back from Switzerland. There's kind of an idea of that, you know, the community that you try and form, but also maybe don't have so much whilst you're over there. Absolutely, but it, yeah. so I, I think it's again, she's, um, she is just whispering to them. Um, and yeah, it may lead ultimately to some kind of romance that I presume it would go really badly considering what happens mm. in the elevator. Absolutely. So let's talk about that. Perfect segue. <laughs> Um, so I, I feel, John, just finish your glass of water there. I feel we need to warm up our vocal cords for the uh, <laughs> rendition of uh, a modern classic. It was first coined by uh, women who liked the Spice, uh, but when they were quite young, um, previously known as uh, Spice Girls. Um, but yes, so uh, I think the, the the song is to become one. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just um, like I was not expecting that. I mean, it's so good. In a sense, what we, I I don't know what you were thinking, Chris, but I I, I actually thought this was a child and that she'd kind of you know infiltrated, got this this, this yeah this family. Um, so obviously her husband doesn't really exist in that sense, mm-hmm. but and if he needs to. I presume part of her will form, um, you know, her husband. But it was just, I I thought something even weirder potentially was going to happen between Elsa and her son, um, to be honest. And then, yeah, seeing sort of... I don't think I want to know what that was, John. No, I don't really know if I'm comfortable in saying it, but just because she lifted up her top, I was like, oh, okay, it's kind of that situation. Um, But (laughs) That's how it is in their family. Yeah, exactly. It was... um, I suppose I just was like, it's literally the biological version of Terminator 2. It's like she can separate out and... 
then morph back together. Um, so I, yeah, that was phenomenally good. Mm. Um, and really to the kind of horror sort of thread of Penny Dreadful, which mm-hmm. I, I really, really liked. I mean, much like the, the four bodies in by the river as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I just loved how the eyes of this, of, of this child just dropped to the floor kind of thing. He just goes stony faced and then just merges back in with her body, just like he's melting into it. I think it's such a fantastic uh, special effect, but not just that, but the, the, the layering of the acting of the two characters as it's happening is just kind of, it's so interesting because the character almost falls out of the kids uh, completely. You know, yeah. there's nothing there. It looks like an empty vessel before he merges back in with, uh, with Elsa. I think it's a, a really well done piece. And I, I like that this is another aspect of her powers. Mm-hmm. I don't know what her supernatural powers or godlike powers that we see here that she can, because we're introduced that this is a different, she's morphed her, herself again. Um, she's no longer Magda. She is this now Elsa and that we can see that she can take on different appearances. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, she can whisper. Beyond that, she can, split she can she potentially can be two places at once she can split herself up mm, yeah um yeah. so yeah it's, it's definitely going to be interesting to see where else they go moving very quickly on because we just briefed john you briefly touched on the sauerkraut and uh the frankfurters yes um in the park that for that wasn't the only shock that scene where he opens the door and it was just all the nazi paraphernalia yeah. i was like Oh, what? Oh, hold on. Wait, I had to do mental math in my head going, wait, had the war started? Yes, the war started. Okay, wait, hold on. But they haven't fully could set to, okay, being a Nazi is not a bad thing at this point in time. It's just a weird thing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and then seeing this, the, the, this regiment of Nazis walk through the park in downtown LA mm-hmm. for his lunch break. Yeah. And you get to see Dr. Kraft give this, eloquent and oh it was eloquent speech rhetoric of like stay in your lane oh us mm-hmm. neighbors like protect your neighborhood stay protect no need to go to war and fight for the english or anything like that and st- we must protect our the, the fellow americans and i am a fellow american like you mm-hmm. um it was very powerful very well done um, leave, leave the Europeans to their European things. We're American yeah. kind of idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it is definitely uh, another probably quite incendiary um, commentary on current day events, really, as well. Uh, that's that's the purpose of this whole uh, concept, really. But uh, but fascinating to see uh, this speech in the middle of the park. He, he is he's eloquent and he's interesting and intriguing to people again. As, as Chris pointed out, you know, 1938, before the war, before a lot of stories of what was going on in Germany would have gotten over to America. So while people think of him as a bit of a curiosity, some guy standing in a park shouting uh, out loud and getting their attention, he also uses little tricks to get them to laugh and get them to find yeah. what he's saying interesting. You know, Americans wouldn't be where they are without our Frankfurters and our sauerkraut. I see you over there eating the sauerkraut kind of thing. You know, everybody's kind of laughing. Everybody's having a bit of fun and he's getting his message across. This idea of stick with us, we'll stick together and we'll keep America great. 
because I think he actually says that exact line. So he um, does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. I mean, he he's part of this um, German American Bund, um, which is this organization, pro-Nazi organization that established in the 1930s mm. and um it took over from a, another organization and so you know again this 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 infiltration i think as well what's really good as well as you you see uh lewis michener and Diego vega um watching uh dr Kraft giving his speech you know and with with kind of equal parts discussed really from the two of them and um, be obviously Again, th- this idea of stirring the racial pot for for both of them, because uh, on the one hand you have uh, Tiago who is Mexican, but I think the assumption is is that Louis uh, Michener is Jewish, um, and I think uh, you know you see him later on, obviously doing a private investigation of some description into. Um, Mr. Goss, the CEO, uh, and, and also other different strands of things like the German-American Bund, um, uh, as well as other uh, fascist infiltration yeah. in, into Germany. Definitely uh, flashbacks to uh, Hunters, the Netflix show, that, or the, the Amazon Prime yeah. show that we watched earlier on this year about about Nazi hunters in, in America in the 70s, where you see all the ties and connections and how they're all infiltrating everything that's going on. But this being the 30s, you're kind of going, they're already infiltrating quite deep. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was a really, really interesting touch. And I think it was another little touch as well that Elsa does um, as well in when she's in Dr. Kraft's office, because she does talk about being forced to live in the Jewish quarter uh, with her husband mm. and that it's difficult. That's right. Sure. Um, again, um at yet at the same time really indicating that she is of pure german thoroughbred mm-hmm. um in, in the way that the nazis would have done so yeah i i think this is really good actually yeah. that you have them seeing that because it opens just another little thread for for lewis michener and um, doing his own private investigation but as well it echoes why they would be partners even though you have that great line at the start, as they become new partners, you know, on the first day, where Diego asks him, well, why did you pick me? Mm-hmm. And, of course, his response is, well, I didn't. No one else would have you. Yeah. So I, I'm left with you, the Mexican. Um, but for Diego, it did. It felt like it was the wrong answer that came from uh, Michener yeah. uh, here, because I think it's the idea that, you know, the Jewish population also would have been... Um, at the 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 whipping end of this sort of racial stirring yeah. as, as well absolutely absolutely you feel like another egg cast uh someone similar yeah. to himself yeah so i think that kind of wraps up elsa um right now because mm. it would be interesting to see where her little weird adolf clone <laughs> her arm i don't know where he goes comes but you know i'm interested to see because the one thing i'm trying to look at across all of this is nation versus nation brother versus brother I'm trying to figure out each time the nation versus nation and brother versus brother can also be family versus family. Mm-hmm. So in this case, it's the Nazism, but also Dr. Kraft's family going to be at odds and broken. Yeah. Um, so that could be where we're going to start to see things. Yeah. A different take on what is going on and how it will happen. Absolutely. Um, but there is a third 
There is a third version of Knock Me Dormer in this show. Absolutely, absolutely. And probably the one that we've seen most often uh, in the promotional material and everything else because they certainly were trying to get across this show as a penny dreadful. Um, the idea of Magda being a supernatural being was very important. So uh, that's that's my version of Natalie Dormer that I'm, uh, we're probably going to chat about a bit. Uh, you guys have mentioned a fair bit of it, and it's, it's impossible in a show like this because it is all interconnected. It's impossible to uh, not talk about everything uh, in in each other's points really so it's it's grand we cross over often it's fine uh, but i love the initial challenge between magda and santa morta i think it's it's really a, an interesting challenge we played the clip at the at the opening of the show um this concept that magda is effectively going out to sow the seeds of the demise of man and santa morta will be there with her all the way through because santa morta cares for the souls of humans not for the living, uh, which I think is an interesting kind of distinction that she makes. Um, but Magda does give a little push towards her as well. Gives her, you know, will you step in to save the living? Um, and why do you care individually about this kid, Diego? Why do you care about any of them? They're just uh, they're just beings that live on this plane, uh, which is ours to control effectively. So I'm really intrigued in the idea of these two uh, two characters, Magda versus uh, Santa Muerta. They're supposed to be sisters and uh, similar to the original Penny Dreadful with Dracula and and uh, Lucifer being brothers and the two of them with their own plans to take over the world. It seems that Magda has this plan to take over the world and Santa Muerta will be there at the end because she's the one that guides all the souls of the living uh, off into the afterlife. But they're not working together to destroy the world. It doesn't seem like Santa Muerta is, is particularly evil in the way that Magda is. Magda has this belief that everybody in the human race is destined to do something bad and do something evil, and she'll lead them that way. Santa Muerta is just kind of there for the afterlife. She's not there to judge them while they go along it, and she's not there to save them either or to step in and push them in a good direction or a bad direction. This isn't good versus evil. This is two sisters that have a different purpose, effectively. So I'm really intrigued about those two characters, and this is much more central to the show than I actually thought it was going to be, because... You saw a little bit of Magda in the trailer. I thought it was uh, it was shown right at the start of the episode, and then not too much more. I didn't expect in the first episode to get all of these versions of Magda to be pushing everybody in different directions. She's behind everybody's back. She's whispering in the ear of the councilman who stands up against Royal Vega, as, as John mentioned. She's in the ear of, ear of Dr. Kraft, um, who's stoking the fl flames of America's first and then towards the end, she's in the police officer who fires the first shot. And then also in Raul, who escalates the whole battle amongst the community. And then that pushes him to try and kill Lewis Michener. And that gets him shot by his own brother. So she's in everybody's ears. And you're trying to work out, is it, what's the plan for her? Well, it's the plan for her is the desolation of the world. She doesn't want any side to win. She doesn't want the Nazis to take control of America. She doesn't want the councilman to become mayor. She doesn't want anything like that to happen. She wants everything to burn her walk in the ashes of the world. And she will be in anybody's ear that she needs to be in to, to accomplish that, which I think is fascinating. Like I think it's a really good evil villain for the show. Definitely. But is she the villain? That's mm. the question I have. Because so with the original Penny Dreadful, and I, I, I from what I remember is not all of the characters, the the monsters are monsters. Mm -hmm, absolutely, yeah. Uh, and that's kind of so. Uh, Santa Muerte is a, a known mythological figure. <laughs> it is she. She is well known. I had heard of her before. Yeah. Um, Magda, I haven't. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm wondering whether this is a creation. Is this going to be something that will be, they'll go, surprise, she was really X all along. <laughs> um, or it's going to be that Santa Muerta and Magda are not villains. We, we think they're villains from this opening episode, mm-hmm. but by the end, it's, no, they're yin and yang. They, they're creation. They're necessary, necessary evils. I, I think so. I, I think they're like facilitators, for want of a better word. Yeah. I, and I think it's down to the whispering. It, it, it's that I will let them be who they are. Mankind just needs to be told you can. So she's not telling Councilman Townsend to do the stuff he does. It's just mm-hmm. he is. Um, he ha- he has racial prejudice in him. Yeah. She's not telling the Nazis to do it because that's their philosophy. Um, the the anger with Raoul and his brother is because well they're both from the same community. Their house is going to be destroyed, but um, one is on, lining up on one side yeah. of that picket line for want of another word and one on the other mm-hmm. um with ultimately that shotgun um and and with i i suppose i i'm suspecting with dr craft it, it's it it's the idea that it, in one way he is he can't lose go of his his homeland of Germany yeah. and, and he sees nostalgia and belonging in what's coming out of the, and in the same way that Lewis, uh, Michener, um, can't either from his religion, from, from being Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think it's that she will let them be who they are and will facilitate them to do that to the extremes in order, what does she say at the start, so that dark powers come into alignment and the world will burn. And I think for Santa Muerta, it's that she facilitates people from death and other ways. And, you know, if someone asks for protection, so she facilitates it, but she doesn't intervene in the same way so you you have that i mean it's an amazing scene i I think it's really great great scene where maria is praying uh in front of all the crosses to calling forth santa murta at sort of the behest of her her son because of those murders Mm -hmm. in in the river um and you know she she comes to her and you know why did you call me you know um i'll be here when you die and yeah. not before you know if you die i will be there um but if your leg is caught in a trap you must bite your own leg off yeah. it's like it's really really good and, and you know she everything's repeated here in, in this scene from that the earlier scene right at the start between uh, the two sisters in, in the the field um, you know, the whole prophecy is repeated. Um, she, she kind of goes, um, you know, I have no heart to care for man and don't give me tasks to do. Yeah. But I, I think that's the interesting thing then with Diego because he has been touched by her. And is it that she's facilitating him to be, um, the opposition to Magda in the physical world because mm. she can't quite do it. You know, yeah. he's almost like the chosen one in well, that exactly. sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, because I, I love, you know, Santa Mercy gives out to Maria and is, is about to go and Maria just keeps on praying to her saying, you know, you're needed here now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fantastic stuff. It's like it, it's real Shakespearean, yeah. I thought. Yeah. Um, and um 
And Maria just calls out, it's my favourite line of the episode, will you sleep as your bitch of a sister conquers heaven? Like, it is, um, it's mm-hmm. like, they are the yin and yang. I completely agree with you. And I think they, they facilitate, um, but it's in that, it's that new world a Catholic religious tradition that yeah. it's coming from, from, uh, from Mexico. Um, and it, you know, and then you get the hiss, like the cat hiss back from the Santa Murta, and then she disappears. Yeah. Um, you know, and her mum's like, it's up to Santiago Vegas, effectively. You know, the, the thing clicks. It's like, you're the one to stop it. Yeah. Uh, you're the one that's been touched. She's given you the, the almost like the stigmata in yeah. that sense, the um, scar, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I, I thought, like, um, I, I think that's what they are. They're, mm-hmm. they're facilitators. But it's that you know, in any given time, they could be viewed as good or evil, and from any given vantage point, that it's good or bad. Um, it's whatever you think of it in that sense. It's a little fluid, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I like I like the uh, the greyness of that. Yeah, it's really, always always really good in the show. Yeah, uh, but definitely. That was such or, a great, or should I say, always really good in John Logan's writing because this is a brand new show <laughs> and this is the first episode of it. So, uh, so not necessarily. Uh, Magda is created for this show. Um, Santa Morsa is is a, a deity uh, in kind of the the mix of folklore and Catholic religion that came about when the Catholic religion was brought by immigrants uh from mexico to america they, conquistadors uh, absolutely when when they brought uh they brought along some of their more folklore traditions and merged them in to uh, a catholic police uh much to the hatred of a lot of uh, a lot of catholics uh, at the time they were trying to outlaw the the worship of santa Marta. uh reading loads about that over the last couple of months and it, it it's some fascinating history of the character of santa Marta and, and how she's been used and how she's been uh, transformed and turned into a figure by um by a lot of institutions trying to convert this into something subversive the idea of of santa morta they they have regularly said this is um the deity of drug dealers and gang leaders because they found some uh, imagery of santa morta in their homes so this is something trying to subverse the the, subvert the latinos that are in america yeah exactly yeah it's um well like I think as well with Tiago um, investigating the four bodies mm-hmm. in, in the river uh, of the Hazlitt family. And he, you know, they're wondering why they've been brought on this. Obviously, then it, it and he says that the makeup is Day of the Dead. And he, he references then Santa Muerta and, and describes her as a bruja um, or witch um, and is the goddess uh, of death. Um, and again, it's very similar with Penny Drevel, this idea of the scorpion and who Vanessa was. And even with Diego, um, you know, there are similarities there that he is um, a vessel for extra natural supernatural forces like in the same way that vanessa rives was and mm-hmm. um, it's just maybe he's less aware of it uh than vanessa was when we're first introduced or just because of the generational thing which i think is another thing that's brought out um you know he just views it as peasant folklore mm-hmm. I and mean, that's that's what he's describing it to his colleagues in the lapd and um, but obviously Maybe he's a little more reverent around um, around his mum, uh, Maria. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I actually have it in my notes, the same kind of uh, question, I suppose, because in the original Penny Dreadful, Vanessa Ives became 
obsessed almost with her belief in God and her belief in Christianity. Um, in this show, Diego's um, meeting and being touched by the supernatural completely pushes him away from religion, or at least from the, those supernatural beliefs yeah. and those folkloric beliefs that his mom has. Um, he, he seems to be completely separating himself from all of that, even though he knows it exists. And I, it, it had me questioning, is that, is that what's happening? Um, the other kind of read that I have, and maybe it's something that may come out uh, in the next episode or as, as the series goes on, the other kind of read on it is he saw his father burned to death. We noticed in this episode, Magda can't be seen by anybody when she's in her form and talking to other humans. Magda's the one that set the fire that killed everybody that was in that field um, around Tiago. Well, Tiago did see his father in the arms of Santa Muerta. Maybe yeah. he blamed Santa Muerta for the death of everybody in that field because he didn't see Magda start the fire. Maybe he believes that it was Santa Muerta. So, um, so maybe that's the reason why he turned his back on everything. It's not that he has no belief in religion or doesn't believe the supernatural exists. It's that he blames the supernatural for the death of his father. But he, but uh, Maria even says this angel you don't believe in, you mm. may need her one day. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's like, he, yeah, he's turned away from the faith. Mm. Um, like, you know, many people have done. So it, yeah. it, in that sense, it, like, it's really, um, it, it is a really good intergenerational kind of uh, thing here. Um, but I, I like as well that he does go back to his, his mother, who is the oracle of all things Santa Muerta, uh, to keep her ear to the ground. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, her ear to the ground is praying to her own shrine, to the deity that she mm -hmm. she believes in. Absolutely. It's like a, a two-way communication to uh, to God, you know? <laughs> I, I One thing I, I will, just from the ending, before we kind of close and move into our notes mm -hmm. for this episode, um, do you think, because of the mark he will be able to see um, Magda because I, I have a feeling perhaps he may be able to see her and in the next episode he may ask what his brother what that lady said to him. Maybe. maybe. What lady? I was wondering. And that, that mark might give him if he is going to be the the, the, the personification of Santa Muerta on earth in that she is asleep she doesn't care she doesn't want to care but she's made her she's given her charge mm. this power like the vessel or the to, or the weapon yeah. of yeah. of her on earth yeah i was wondering but then there is that moment uh at, at the beginning i suppose of of that whole kickoff scene as magda's choosing the first person she's going to whisper in the ear of and she's going under the noses of every single police officer right in front of Tiago. Um, yeah. And he doesn't see her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She just follows on along that line and then goes to the young, the youngest trigger happy police officer who's uh, trigger she fingers looking very itchy until she speaks into his ear. Then he fires the fire the shot. Yeah. Um, so okay. I don't I don't think he saw her there. But that doesn't mean that later on in the series he may not be or he may be imbued yeah. with that or, or given that as, as some kind of um, ability from Santa Morta if she does step in. But I feel like um she is completely invisible uh, in her machinations as Magda in 
in all of the other forms, she's seen by everybody around. But as Magda, I think she's invisible. Uh, yeah. So nobody well, knows she, why they did it, what they did. When you're, we all know when you're in latex <laughs> and walking down the street, everyone just avoids you and acts like you're not there. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's quite a few people that wouldn't avoid uh, Natalie Dormer. In that <laughs> I would say that young. must have been roasting for her. But I, I know what you mean. I did feel like he might be able to see her. Uh, but I think you're right. I don't think he... Uh, does in the end but again that that final scene with the 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 face off and of course like what a great little cliffhanger because it has santiago just killed his brother you know this is the brother versus brother Mm -hmm. um his his younger brother as well has seen him at least shoot his brother um and this his entire community has just seen him effectively leave the community join the la police force which some of them weren't very happy with anyway um and then shoot his own brother on behalf of the force that was stopping them from protecting their home so so if well is dead that's a that's a a huge incendiary moment for that community and yeah. everything that's going on with yeah. Diego. So uh, um, and I, I, I'm saying cliffhanger right now. The, definitely. I'm not saying he's dead until we see a body. Uh, no. And in the world of Penny Dreadful, seeing a body also doesn't necessarily mean dead. <laughs> well, and we, we have that moment as well before kind of really being told by his, his mother that he needs to do his job he needs to mm-hmm. be there is what she says really you're going to be there for a purpose yet he has been you know he was trying to get out of it by by taking the day off uh by going to michener and, and and asking um and you know michener says either you're a cowboy or an indian you have to choose uh which side and it's like you know what like i i couldn't imagine that i of being able to choose like that, um, it, it must be really difficult. It, it's the classic moment where people who sort of in 1980s Britain, you know, there were members of the family who may have been in the police and the others were minors striking mm-hmm. and, and being charged down by them. And it, it, it's, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, here, uh, this, I, you know, betrayal versus fighting for their community how is it perceived how is it viewed and it's interesting that his mom with that um that prayer to santa muerta believes that he has to be there for some reason whatever that may be Yeah, absolutely. I do also like from from Mitchell that he kind of goes, this is your second day in the job and you're already telling me there's something you can't (laughs) do. But he doesn't end it with, you know, the thing you can't do is go up against your entire community that got you to this point, because that is quite a big decision. Like, you know, maybe if if this was six months into the job and he may have made some other relationships and friendships with the people in, in the unit that he worked in, maybe he might it might feel a bit difficult for him to say no and not going to work. But if it's, if it's day two and you're being sent off to, to stand on a picket line against uh, your friends and family, uh, it might be, that's a very difficult choice. Yeah. They didn't really highlight that as much. I think it will come out more later, mm-hmm. but he is the first, um, uh, Spanish American, Latino American, um, detective mm-hmm. on the force in LA yeah. ever. So like this is a big big deal and it's mentioned twice. Yeah. yeah. But like it's more implied that we see him like he reveres his badge, he sle- sleeps beside him mm-hmm. opened kind of like a, a loving portrait of a like what would it be your wife or your girl your best girly by your side except he has his badge uh-huh. um it's a massive so achievement I, I, yeah. massive, you know? and, but it's a massive achievement yet it, it's the thing that puts him between a rock and a hard place mm-hmm. in that yeah. you know 
with what happens in that final scene and we we get a touch of, of that even when they're celebrating him becoming the first um chicano uh detective uh you know his brother raul is is still kind of questioning where his loyalty lies mm-hmm. with this sort of tinderbox of the the freeway about to be built and which side will he come down on um you know michener has said it um as well you're a cowboy or an indian and yet at the same time you've got the likes of his the police officers still doing the racial stereotypes where michener at least to some extent stands up for tiago and um, to this the casual racism um in, in the locker room at the lapd um or, or even were with with vanderhoff you know so he's one of them and he also isn't he's one of the mexican community but by way of getting the detective badge he's also not Mm -hmm. he's he's different um he's he's you know there's a few degrees of separation Mm -hmm. um as seen by uh role um and that is that's like it make, it potentially makes for great storytelling like it did in this episode because, yeah, Tiago is in this bind of mm-hmm. being between a rock and a hard place. He's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. Absolutely. Um, and presumably uh, Santa Muerta likes damned souls. <laughs> and that's, that's very true. Very true. Uh, I'd also remember from Penny Dreadful um, the concept of cowboy. You're either a cowboy or an Indian is a very different phrase in this world where we know exactly what happened between the cowboys and yeah. the native americans uh, from what happened with ethan in the first series of that show as well um that's it for our points about this first episode any notes that you want to talk about anything we haven't particularly discussed i know there's loads we haven't discussed but we don't discuss everything on our podcast but uh, is there anything we haven't discussed that you want to talk about i have two quick points mm-hmm. first in your opinion will we see other supernatural beings Penny Dreadful was always a bit of an Avengers coming together, like of of different fictional characters. Mm. From what I remember of season one, right. like you guys have done the retrospective, <laughs> I I've yet to catch up. Um, but do you think we'll see other supernatural characters? Um, I think these two initially are a great central force in the background to what's going on with the humans that are involved with them and that that's kind of what you saw in uh in the original penny dreadful uh, while there were some supernatural characters in there and there definitely were uh, you're absolutely right um most of the characters were the humans that featured in those books and there was uh, four or five supernatural characters that lasted throughout the seasons but a big bad overarching each of the three seasons so i'm thinking of magda and santa muerta as the big bads uh overarching the seasons or the slightly gray uh intermediate somewhere in between good or bad depending (laughs) on your perspective (laughs) that overarched the season Uh, i'm not sure whether we're going to get any more supernatural beings in the show because i i think you're right john this idea of uh the one lighting the match to see how the humans go and the other one there to collect the souls on the other end just feels like a really interesting concept for the show yeah, I, I would agree. I don't, I don't think there, there will be so much. I think, um, I, I would love there to be because I, I think there's a great vein of folklore coming from Mexicans. And certainly because you have that like fabulous, uh, crossover between, uh, the religion imposed in, mm-hmm. in that land and the indigenous, uh, Indians and, and Aztecs, um, that had their own 
religion mm-hmm. uh you know in the same way as santa claus and all the tales in europe you you have this sort of crashing together of two cultures and um one taking from the other to support its own beliefs so i i i don't think so i would love there to be but let's be optimistic and say that's for season two and three <laughs> there you go yeah true. um and final my final uh second point to note was just interested to see where the cult will go yeah so we're very quickly introduced to a religious cult mm-hmm. of some christian format um that the 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 four the family is connected to yes. it's and literally it, it's a kind of not blink it's not a blink and you'll miss it mm-hmm. but because it's they, audio so yeah yes well it's <laughs> audio but also their robes yes um and the photos for a second. So the one thing I'm going to potentially call as a potential, right? Mm-hmm. Is the person who is framed as a Jesus like figure in the painting or a picture is a blonde lady. Yep. Uh, it does not look like the mother. Um, no of the family. No, so could this be a additional character, uh, for a Natalie Domer? Could this be a fourth character uh, for Magda or some incarnation? It could be interesting. Mm-hmm. I just I thought this is another whisper, like the ultimate whisper. It's like I have my own cult. Right. I yeah. have my own religion. Yeah. Um, or I, I'm whispering about God, but actually I'm pushing the men by telling them what to do. Yeah. Anyway, just it's a, I'm wondering where this cult story will go. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm yeah. with that. Yeah. I, I wonder, will it intersect with the German-American bunt with Dr. Kraft at all? Maybe. I did like how um, Detective uh, Michener, um I did like the fact that he helped himself to a glass of whiskey uh, when he came into the uh-huh. into the home. Um, I thought that was quite a, a was nice good. little touch. It's like, well, if I've got to investigate the house for blood, I'm going to do it with a drink. Now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and they are, dare I say it, true believers. Uh, where have we heard that before? As we have uh, reviewed and discussed so many Marvel <laughs> properties. <laughs> Marvel yeah. properties. Yeah, absolutely. I do know what that is, Chris. Um, because it's another major character for the season. Uh, hopefully, no spoilers for anybody that couldn't, that didn't notice it. If you guys didn't see it, I just happened to watch the episode about two or three times over the weekend. Uh, it's about radio evangelism. Uh, this is another form of coercion within America, effectively. Um, radio around the country in the US became very, very popular in the 30s and 40s. So, what are now televangelists? You you know what they're like. They get on the radio. They yeah. ha- have their speeches. Back then, this was suddenly opening up a new world where voices of evangelizing uh, people were getting spread all across America. So this character is a character that is based on a very famous evangelist of the time that suddenly her words are being spread from L.A. all across America and convincing people to follow her beliefs and follow her ideals uh, in ah, the Christian okay. religion. Good so uh, so you will see her in the second episode. Uh, Sister Molly is the character's name. Uh, you'll see her in the next episode. But uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting idea to play with. Uh, lots of interesting stuff going on in the 30s. Yeah, and you can see why this concept of, of it being a powder keg for uh, John Logan to strike the match to is, is a really good one. But am I right it's Magda? No, you're not. 
<laughs> oh, okay. okay. It's even better. So it's another kind of character like the, the councilman. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. So Magda's maybe in the background. Maybe. I just assumed cool. it was the Virgin Mary. <laughs> well, she may think she is. Uh, she may think she has some connection or gets all of the right words to say directly from God to her radio listeners' ears. Uh, perhaps that's uh, that's the wow. attack she's going cool. with. But there you go. That'll be, I, I'm looking forward to that now. Yeah. Um, but those are my notes, gentlemen. Uh, what about you? Anything else you want to close up with from, I believe, uh, Derek, you coined this the best possible way, Notes of the Dead. Yes, yes. Notes of the Dead worth this. Ah, excellent stuff. <laughs> uh, any other notes? Uh, one one that I just wanted to mention, just because uh, Penny Dreadful was set in the UK um, in the first series of the show, this series, Penny Dreadful City of Angels, being set in the US. Penny Dreadful's where around in the US. It was it was much more well-known in the UK, but what would be much better known in America were pulp magazines, which became particularly successful between 1920 and 1940, when paper ran out because of the war effort. Um, so they didn't print them as much, but um, but they were mass-produced genre stories, very much crime fiction, horror stories, science fiction, all that kind of stuff that was that was around at the time. So so similar to Penny Dreadfuls that they yeah. that that they just continued on, and a lot of people would say that after this era of Penny Dreadfuls and after the war, and when uh, I suppose a bit more money came back into the economy, this is what led to comic books uh, becoming so popular. Genre stories sh- told in a short format uh, for the mass population. So uh, so kind of went Penny Dreadfuls became Pulp Fiction, Pulp magazines, uh, and then became comic books. So uh, that's that's the uh, entomology, we'll say, of, of Penny Dreadful. <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that's a really good connection. Uh, I, because we were trying to think of like gumshoe detectives and all that. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, the pulp magazine, mm-hmm. pulp fiction, eventually, uh, eventually, uh, <laughs> along those kind of lines, yeah. um, which is really good. I think, um, the only note I have is just with the four bodies as well. Mm. Um, you know, we, we see detective <laughs> Diego showing that day of the dead makeup but i mean you know this classic sort of horrific scene of death mm-hmm. um for um for penny dreadful so i i'm glad that has continued through from Absolutely. the original series as well that they do like to show their gruesome uh deaths Absolutely. And, and, yeah. and uh, for those of you who watched the episode on YouTube, uh, the episode was released for free on YouTube before being on Showtime or at the same time as being on Showtime um, streaming. Uh, for those of you that only watched on YouTube, it has a message that comes up saying uh, it's been edited. Go to Showtime for the full version of it. The full version of it is the bodies in full uh, in full view. So uh, the gruesomeness of that did have to be protected in case somebody was walking past your screen and work while watching YouTube. It is really it's like the, the, the pearls inlaid into a groove around the eyes. You've mm-hmm. kind of got that Chelsea smile kind of grin where it looks like part of their cheeks have been cut out yeah. um, and the makeup and then the hearts are missing with that I- I- inscription of you take our heart, we take yours. So, mm. you know, it, it's been set up at least that it's Mexicans taking uh, revenge on the the Hazlitts uh, because his company was building, designing the freeway. He had mm-hmm. all the plans there. Yet, you know, as any good detective, uh, Tiago says, yeah, but we don't know whether it was Mexicans Absolutely. that have, have done this and whether there is a, a more nefarious thing uh, going on in the background as yeah, well. Absolutely. It's fascinating. You're not even looking at my, at my notes, and that's exactly the other note I had. It just really makes me believe that it's possibly another 
type of manipulation that's going on within this world? What what else is it that's being manipulated? Because everybody is jumping to the assumption. Everybody from the chief of police to his own partner, everybody else is is making the assumption that absolutely must be because they use makeup from Day of the Dead. Well, of course, that means nobody else could use makeup. Nobody else knows about that. Well, a lot of people do as well. Um, Except the so Max Factor. Max Factor, they, they know about it from uh, from Hollywood, just down the road, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it makes me, it would it would be shocking right now actually if it was if it turned out to be somebody else in the community the one suspect though was Rao, right because he specifically talked about the fact that they that that the motorway going through the community takes out the heart of their community so him using that similar phrase but if he's the one that's been shot and killed uh, in this episode well does it make him not a suspect or does that just solve the whole crime okay it was Rao, and he's dead already got our man (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh, but there you go that's that that was all my notes as well uh, any other anything else that you guys had for this episode or go on to a little bit of news let's go on to some news <laughs> should be news of the dead news of the dead would be much much better yes i might i might use that next time so just a couple of quick news items from uh, some of the people involved in the show i just thought it was interesting to have it on the first episode here uh, there's an interview with john logan on why he returned to penny dreadful now uh, he talked to avclub.com uh, where he says the first series to me was a very closed book uh, we wrote the end at, at the end of the show uh, it was a beautiful story i love doing the show but i never thought i'd revisit it and then we went through a seismic change in the world in the last five years and as a writer you're either going to whisper about that or or scream about it, and I wanted to scream about it. I was struck by certain parallels to our world now and the challenges facing us and in the ni- 1930s America. Los Angeles history is Latino history, so the idea of exploring folk Catholic figure like Santa Morta seemed appropriate to the world, and it seemed like a story that was very penny dreadfulish to me. I, I'm happy that he's screaming again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's great that John Logan is screaming and writing while <laughs> screaming. He's just like, ah, <laughs> he's just on a typewriter because he doesn't use a laptop. It's just, ah, exactly. It's almost like the lockdown meme of the music teacher saying, I've written a new song to the class and she starts, you know, you've got all the the guitar music coming out and then she just screams. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But I'm glad that uh, that John Logan is able to be a little more coherent in his uh, in his writing than that. <laughs> or we wouldn't get a full show like this. Uh, Natalie Dormer also was interviewed by EW.com. I just wanted to pull this out as well because obviously she's playing multiple roles in the show. It must be fascinating for her. Um, they asked her, what makes Magda more complex for you as an actor? She says, we worked out quite quickly that the iterations of Magda, Elsa, Rio and Alex have to be lived and breathed as real people their backstories have to be real with elsa it's very interesting to look at why so much of the german population voted for hitler when he came into power why do people fundamentally seem normal start saying things really awful out loud about other people or ethnic ethnic groups for john logan and i together it was finding humanity to elsa and alex in certain places perhaps you might at least empathize with why they would make certain choices I can't play a role on two levels. It's an experience I had with Marjorie Tyrell in Game of Thrones. If she contradicts herself in one scene, you can't play that contradiction in the frame. You have to play play some authority in the moment. And then the contradiction is something that happens in the audience's brain going down the line. When I play Elsa, I'm not playing Magda walking along in the faux leather dress. I have to play Elsa who's a true, full characterization. I have to believe in those individuals as if they were real humans and forgetting there was a puppet master like Magda above them all at all times. So so she is really 
playing all three all four of those roles in the show as as she's going through it she's playing four completely different characters in her mind which i think is is evident when you're watching yeah you absolutely know? you can really see the difference between each one of them so. and it is that there is a fourth iteration of magda um realized as, as a full um person and character in in the show we mm-hmm. just haven't seen her yet exactly that's going to be interesting to see, and it's good to see. And I really like Natalie Dormer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I loved her as a the in uh, Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. Um, this will show her full acting chops. Absolutely, I would say when I, when a part like this comes across your table as an actress, it's like I'm going right now, right now. Don't want to stop. <laughs> Let me just get there. Yeah. I will I will do everything to get this role because let's see, it's only episode one, but it's one that should absolutely raise her to the next level, really. Because yeah, uh, yeah it's been been really good in the past. In our excitement to doing a new show, we completely forgot to uh, talk about our ratings for the episode. John, overall, what did you think of the episode? Um, well, I I thought this was really, really good. Really enjoyed immersing myself into uh, this new Penny Dreadful world in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, I would give this four Frankfurters and a 0.5 dollop of sauerkraut nice. out of five. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought this was really good. You could see the connection to Penny Dreadful of old mm-hmm. in terms of that supernatural element. You know, the gruesomeness not holding back on... The murders, yeah. um, the Santa Muerta uh, confrontation with uh, Maria was excellent. And I think uh, Tiago and his brothers and his relationship with Louis Michener is really good mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, it's, it's a fascinating time of history, uh, you know, involving Nazis in the US, which, you know, always strikes a, a certain weird tone. You, you think of it mm-hmm. as being European. Uh, and so seeing those things in the US and certainly on the West Coast, yeah. it, it, it's it's a really intriguing aspect of um, American history. So uh, I love that it's set in L.A. in the Mexican community, the or the, the American Mexican community. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so, so good. And of course, the writing and, and the acting has been just great yeah. uh, for me. Uh, Maria Vega was just fantastically drawn um and mm-hmm. certainly that that confrontation with santa muerta uh so so good so yeah four frankfurters and a 0.5 dollop of sauerkraut in maybe a german-american bun <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe yes there was a, a spelling mistake in the uh showtime description for the episode which was saying that it was a german-american bun rather than the german-american bunt um, so uh, so some problems there with maybe maybe spell check uh, for, uh end of that. <laughs> exactly um that's the ratings for this episode uh, myself and chris i know we both enjoyed it we did mention that we both really enjoyed the episode but completely forgot to record our thoughts about that so let's head on to our feedback section i think gentlemen it's time for a penny for your thoughts so we're asking you to send in your thoughts on each episode to feedback at tvpodcastindustry.com or you can, of course, join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries where every Sunday we will put up a spoiler post where you can drop in your thoughts and we will discuss your thoughts live on air. Well, live for us, <laughs> not live for you. Yes, we will not be dead, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> you can also hear your dulcet tones 
interacting with our dulcet tones on the podcast by recording a clip yourself on your phone, emailing it to us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or heading over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and you can record a clip of up to 90 seconds of your thoughts for us and we'll include it on the next week's episodes. We'd love to hear from you guys. Absolutely. We thrive on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek can't survive without it. I know. <laughs> it's great to get all the feedback. I mean, love listening to it. So, uh, especially when you send audio feedback. But as Chris said, you can also email us uh, and go onto our Facebook group if you, if you don't want to record your voice. But our first voicemail comes in from the wonderful Steve Brand. Hey guys, this is Steve and uh, this is for Penny Dreadful, City of Angels. Uh, just a quick few quick notes i did watch it twice and uh really liked it i'm uh, impressed that uh, john logan wrote this episode also i'm not sure how many of this season's episodes he's gonna he's gonna write i'm sure you'll tell us as we go but uh definitely a, a different kind of tone definitely a brighter kind of tone than of course it's california instead of uh you know london uh or the uk area so definitely a different tone to it uh how many parts is natalie dormer playing in this, because I didn't realize the the first time I watched it, but I think she also was playing the councilman's aide, the woman with the glasses, and the, so um, I'm not sure how many parts she's she's actually. I guess we saw three in this in this episode. Uh, we'll see how many more. Uh, a lot of names in the credits the second time I watched it that I I don't know who all they were at. Like I don't I didn't recognize Ethan Peck. And, uh, uh, I'm not sure, um, I did kind of recognize Piper Parabo the, the second time I watched it. And, uh, so just uh, some really cool, uh, cameos there from, uh, actors and actresses that I didn't expect. Uh, I really thought Adam Rodriguez was gonna, uh, be in the show longer, uh, but it, it appears not. Um, so, uh, we'll see, but, uh, you know, I, that, that last scene with that fight and the, the, all the action was really, really cool and just reminded me, uh, I mean, as, as tragic as the whole thing was, it reminded me how good Natalie Dormer is at the side eye acting. Like she just, she has this, this way of of looking her eyes to the side that I've loved since Game of Thrones. And I always thought was really, really great. So can't wait to hear what you guys thought. Talk to you later. Thanks, Steve. Um, yeah, that last scene, mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't actually expand my love for it so much. I, I could wax lyrical, just the slow down, the, 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 the wave, the slow wind across the, the two yeah. deities mm-hmm. where everything else is, it's almost a crawl. I'd love to know how long that took to shoot. Yeah. Whether the two deities are green screened, because I actually get the feeling, because everything looked like it was flowing at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it was, okay, this reset, do that scene multiple times, mm-hmm. uh, and just slow it down on a camera each time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looked fantastic. It really did. And, 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 you know, without words, it really was the, this is where it all begins, which is exactly yeah. what you want from a pilot or from a premiere of a show is this moment at the end of your first episode. This is our kickoff point to the end, basically. So uh, I thought it was really, really good. Um, Steve, just the two characters that you mentioned, the two actors that you mentioned, uh, Piper Parabo uh, plays uh, Linda Craft. Uh, drinky, drinky, don't give her any more alcohol. She's in the background. We'll definitely see more of her as the season goes on. Ethan Peck, I'm not surprised you didn't notice him. Uh, Ethan Peck plays uh, Spock on Star Trek Discovery. Chris, I know you're uh, a fan of that. And John, I know you're both a fan of that show. Uh, you only see him genuinely in one scene. Yes. He's in a Nazi outfit and he's standing 
to the right of uh, of Dr. Kraft when he's giving his speech. <laughs> so uh, he doesn't have any lines in this episode. I hope for his career, that's not the only moment that he's in the episode because uh, standing <laughs> in the background wearing Nazi uniform uh, doesn't go very well on your on your CV. So hopefully we'll see him back. We will see him back later on in the season. Yeah, no, thanks so much, Steve. And yes, you're right. Four parts uh, Magda in um, Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Uh, and yes, what I really like as well is, yes, it is brighter, less rainy, but it's also just as creepy. Yeah. Um, I, I think that moment where, um, Detective Michener and, uh, Tiago go into the Hazlitt's house and there's something creepy about it. The orderedness. Yeah. They've come from this lovely sunny, uh, climate. Yet if it's like the darkness in LA, is a shade lighter than the darkness in sooty Victorian England, <laughs> but it's no less dark, if you know what I mean. Even just the idea that the the cop on the bike says, uh, we do things discreetly here. Mm. Um, that's why there's only one of me here, so that, you know, all the the neighbours aren't sort of uh, craning their necks. Uh, so I, I thought that was... Uh, uh, really good yeah thanks steve for the the feedback really good to hear you. absolutely actually it's just popped into my head of course season three of, uh, of penny dreadful was a lot brighter than the rest of the seasons because we did have a lot of it spent in the west in america so uh yeah that, that was quite bright yes it was very bright i had to wear my sunglasses <laughs> final piece of feedback because he's wonderful our sort of temporary co-host for uh, our dreadful podcast ray has sent in his thoughts on the first episode of penny dreadful city of angels Hi guys, this is Ray, just dropping in some thoughts on the very first episode of Penny Dreadful City of Angels. Uh, very exciting that it's here at last, so uh, I just had to drop in my thoughts and um, let you know what I thought. Uh, anyway, very different from, I guess, the, the original three seasons of uh, Penny Dreadful, uh, gone to the days of the Victorian era with uh, all those classic characters, but... Um, uh kind of you fell into this world um pretty pretty comfortably like i well i felt i did anyway um and uh it was a good i mean it was a good setup there was there was a lot of characters to kind of introduce um i i loved the vega family of course um and um lewis the the partner of santiago was really cool as well um but also dr dr craft uh, Councilman Townsend, all of them, um, they were pretty cool. Um, my favourite, I guess, scene uh, would have to be, I guess, the the um, the secret meeting that the Townsend had with Goss. Uh, I thought that was just dripping with tension. I loved it. Um, I was half expecting, I don't know, I don't know why, but I was half expecting Goss to, to throw Townsend off the side of the cliff. Um, uh, you know, maybe they they chose that location to to kind of give you that sense of tension, but um, very well acted. Townsend's wonderfully, uh, deliciously um, evil, uh, and I love seeing him uh, interact with Raoul in, in the um, in the uh, the town hall. That was very interesting. Uh, Raoul as well is one of my favourites. I uh, so I'm a little little saddened that at the end, um, like I guess we could see it coming. I'm talking about brother killing brother, um, race devouring race. Uh, I just didn't expect it to happen so soon. So, um, you know, R.I.P. Raoul. Um, but he was really cool. He had a lot of fervor. He had a lot of passion 
within him and and you can kind of understand where he's coming from uh he was well spoken when he went up against Townsend so um and he's actually his interactions with with his brothers like Santiago and uh the other one Manuel I'm not sure what his name was um but uh, they were really cool especially that scene where they're just sitting on the on the street um just chatting away um also props to um to Mother Vega she's awesome um, and I love how she's kind of our little peek into the supernatural, her being um, a witch of sorts, uh, and her confrontation with uh, Santa Muerta was uh, was very uh, was was very fulfilling, I guess, because we we didn't get much of that supernatural vibe except for at the very beginning, and um, and that very odd scene of of a German um, uh, version of that that evil deity uh, ingesting her son um, through her stomach. Uh, but anyway, it was uh, really cool. Uh, finally, I guess Kraft, uh, we all know his face from the previous seasons um, of John Clare. Uh, he was very good. Uh, I'm not sure. I was kind of questioning how his um, German accent was. Um, and uh, similar to, um, I forgot her name, the the, the main deity, Dorma. Uh, her German accent as well. I'm wondering if you are a German, would you be kind of looking at it going or listening to it going, hmm, that's a bit, bit off. But it, it, for any non-German speaker, it, it sounded decent enough. So anyway, a very interesting first episode. I can't wait for the next one. Uh, and that ending with the, um, that kind of showdown and, and Santiago killing Raul was, <laughs> I haven't even spoken about their four murders as well, who actually, incidentally, I thought Raul was, was uh, involved because he talked about the the hearts. Anyway, I better stop rambling. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. And uh, yeah, hope to uh, yeah to watch the next one as soon as it drops. Catch you later, guys. Great to hear from Ray. I hope we get to have Ray back on the podcast uh, at some point over the course of the the series uh, to chat about uh, City of Angels. I know he's a massive fan of Penny Dreadful as well, and it was great to have him on board for the past. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, great to get your feedback there, uh, Ray, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm totally with you. I fell into the world pretty comfortably here, uh, as, as well. And, um, I think like yourself, uh, a little, I would be a little bit shocked if Raul has gone so quickly, um, because he did really do some great counterpoints to both Townsend and his own brother. Um, really liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of hoping maybe his brother at least tried to wound him before killing him. So I'm hoping maybe he got a, a bullet through the the shin or, mm. or the shoulder, even though I would probably still scream out in agony <laughs> with, with that. So uh, not that it's an easy shot, but I'm, I'm hoping maybe he's still alive. But mm-hmm. yeah, we'll have to see um, in episode two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're right, the interplay between the three brothers uh, and their their young sister, Josephine, I thought was great. We, we only saw a little bit of that outside the record store um, where Matteo, the youngest brother, is uh, is dragging out the guy that's leeching on his sister. And then they're all having having kind of a, a bit of banter, I suppose, about, uh, about the fact that it's only because she's your sister you do that with other girls yourself you know that kind of thing that was uh i thought it, it felt you know from a family of, of five brothers so I, I totally know that kind of interplay that you have with your brothers you know that kind of uh relationship you have where uh especially being the youngest um you're always told that whatever you did was wrong uh, <laughs> so uh, so i love that little bit about her that was cool yeah yes and if we have any penny faithfuls who listen along to us please let me know if you are german what you thought of the accent mm-hmm. 
Is it close? Is it good? Yeah. Is it like mine? Does oh, two no. become one? <laughs> you know, I honestly thought no. you were going to say, is it close, Chris? That's how, <laughs> that's how close it is now at the moment. <laughs> yeah. I never said I had a good, I had a good German accent. But, but you're going to try. Gonna get, <laughs> I, I am so going to try throughout this season and you're all going to hate it so much. It's going to be great. So no matter, <laughs> no matter how bad you think Rory Kinnear's accent is, at least you can say it's better than Chris's, right? Exactly, and no matter how bad you think my singing is, wait till you hear my dialect. It's even worse. At, at least touch typing whilst closing your eyes can't be shown through the podcast. Yes, exactly. John's uh, terrible ability. Um, thank you so much for your thoughts about this episode. Hopefully we get more of them in over the next couple of weeks uh, as we go through the rest of Penny Dreadful. Make sure you send them in to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. If you didn't get a chance to put them in before this episode, you can share your thoughts about episode one again. We'll, we'll talk about it on the next week's podcast. Uh, but we will be recording our episodes on Monday each week. So you have a chance to watch the episode and send in uh, your thoughts. But gentlemen, bring, bring, I believe it's time to go to the pub. <laughs> yes, Penny Faithfulers, uh, we are at the dreadful pub quiz here at the Repertorio Musical Mexicano. Go grab yourself a tequila, join the Vega Brothers, and join us for phonographos, pianos, lequianas, aqui, and instrumentos Uh I say that it was a bar. Much. It is a musical place, but they were serving drinks as well. They were, yes. yes. Like you would. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for it, sure. It's kind of like an underground, uh, almost like a speakeasy. What it yeah, seems exactly. Like. Yeah. Uh, and it, uh, it has a nice little atmosphere to it. So definitely, uh, yeah, come join us. So basically, uh, if this is new to you, there will be a pub quiz question for each episode of Penny Dreadful uh, City of Angels. Mm -hmm. It will relate to that episode. It may bring in other episodes. It depends how devilishly uh, Santa Muerta -y I, I, I feel uh, <laughs> I need to be with the questions. But you will be in with a chance to win some uh, Penny Dreadful goodies for the person who gets the most answers uh, correct. You can send them in to feedback at TV Podcast Industries. Dot com, uh, or you can send them all in one go right at the end. But let's kick off with episode one, uh, pub quiz mm -hmm. from Santa Muerta. What's the question, Dan? The question is, what is Detective Santiago Vega's LAPD badge number? Ooh, I knew it was going to be for an eagle-eyed viewer. I knew it would be. <laughs> and just to point out, when John says the person who gets the question, that most questions right gets the goodies... We've done two of these pub quizzes, and there has only been one winner both times. So it is definitely about the detail on answering these questions, right? Because John yes. is a very strict taskmaster and a very strict marker uh, on tests as well. So, uh, But the so top like, three have always been tight as well. So it's been really competitive, um, and yeah. uh, I enjoy doing these questions. And it seems like people enjoy... Uh, you know, writing in with the answers. So Absolutely. yeah, Do send it. in your answer for episode one uh, to the question, what is Detective Santiago Vega's LAPD badge number? Excellent stuff. Thank you so much for joining us once again for our dreadful podcast on TV Podcast Industries. Hopefully you're going to join us for the rest of the series. Uh, stay subscribed to the podcast on tvpodcastindustries.com or at thedreadfulpodcast.com because it has its own feed as well. If you just want our Penny Dreadful podcasts, uh, see it over there. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, share it with your friends. Sharing the podcast is sharing the love. And don't forget, you can subscribe to us over on TV Podcast Industries, but 
more importantly, help us keep the lights on and the airwaves going and our mics powered by going to patreon.com slash TV podcast industries where you can donate a single dollar, a euro, a penny, a penny dreadful, if you will. Uh, we recently pre-launch early access to our uh, retrospective of Penny Dreadful there. there. We usually have some form of Patreon tiered gifts and things, early access, etc. Um, so what we ask is go on over, check us out. If you like what you hear, throw us a dollar, throw us a euro, throw us a penny, whatever you can <laughs> spare. Times are tight, we know, so even just sharing the love is great. Excellent. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for everybody that's been supporting us over on Patreon. I uh, can't really do this without you. Uh, it's been been great to get uh, all the support over there. Um, we'll be back next week with Penny Dreadful City of Angels, Episode 2, Dead People Lie Down, which will come out on May 3rd. Yes. Yes, it's a bad thing if dead people sit up. It's different for well, this then show. it's a zombie apocalypse. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Or it's Frankenstein's monster. Oh, Indeed. <laughs> I, sorry, I mean, uh... <laughs> that's it. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. See you in third. Yeah, thanks so much, Penny Faithful, for joining us. Remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep praying. Oh, I like that. That's better than keep screwing, actually, for this episode. Exactly. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Auf Wiedersehen. Guten Tag. Goodbye. <laughs> Tschüss. Tschüss.